This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of the North Church, as part of the 2023 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. So my name is John Avanko. Uh, I've been on staff for 10 years. I was on staff at uh, the University of Louisville for six years uh, and then three years at Bellarmine and just finished up my first year at WKU Western Kentucky. Uh, excited to be with y'all tonight. Let me just show a picture of my family. Um, okay, so that is me, obviously. Um, without the poison ivy that I have all over myself now. Uh, that's my wife, Shannon. We've been married for nine years. Uh, we met on a spring break cruise. If you want to know that story, that will be for another time. Maybe when we're burping the alphabet and doing all that stuff. Um, that's my daughter, Evelyn. Uh, she is uh, about to turn six years old. She uh, loves, uh, she's competitive like her daddy. She loves being right like her daddy. Um, she's very sassy and she loves to boss the other three kids around. That's Andrew. He loves trucks and he also loves pure destruction. Uh, spreading all kinds of creams on the walls and carpet and just destroying things. Um, they tell us it's normal, but that's Andrew. Uh, Jane is two. Uh, she normally smiles a lot. She looks like she's trying not to cry in that picture. Uh, and then uh, she has a lot of sass. And that is uh, Caleb. He was born March 5th. Uh, so anyway, our hands are very full. Uh, but um, that's our family. A uh, little bit about me. Um, all right. So tonight I'm going to be... Can you all hear me okay? Is this good? Um, I'm just going to do this. Uh, tonight I'm going to be talking about justification. So the question for you guys to chew on, if someone asked you the question, are you righteous? Are you righteous? Think about how you would answer that question. Uh, we're going to be taught, well, don't answer it now, but just chew on it. Um, and I think that the answer to that question might be the most important thing about you. The reason is because sin cannot be in the presence of God. Psalm 5 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Sinners cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. And so you, you have a lot of real problems, uh, but none of them uh, are as big as this problem. So you may think your biggest need is to get through school. Maybe you think your biggest need is healing from a sickness that you have. Maybe you think um, your biggest need is a comfortable fun American dream life. Maybe you think your biggest need uh, is to be financially secure. Maybe you think your biggest need is that next fun, exciting thing that you're looking forward to. Maybe you're, you think your biggest need is a wife or a husband. In our 21st century America full of comfort and entertainment, we ignore the things that matter the most. And the real question that should keep us up at night is, how in the world will I, a sinner, stand before a holy God for all of eternity? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The only way, the only way that you will stand before a holy God for all of eternity is if God declares you righteous. And that's what it means to be justified. So if you want the Spoiler, the definition to be justified means to be declared righteous. And I'm going to be giving a lot of pop quizzes on that, so make sure you get it right. Um, so the, the format for tonight, uh, the first point, uh, there's four points. Number one, the need for justification. The need for justification. So another way, if 
you wanted to ask it in a question, you'd say, why do I need to be justified? To the means of justification. So if you wanted to ask that in a question, the means of justification, how? How do I get justified? Third, the nature of justification. If you wanted to ask that in a question, what happens when God justifies me? What happens when God justifies me? And fourth, the goal of justification. For what purpose does God justify me? For what purpose does God justify me? And if you brought a Bible, I would encourage you to open it because we're going to be spending almost the entirety of the time in Romans 1 through 4, in different sections in Romans 1 through 4. So it'll just be easy to follow along. Uh, as I as I read and, and point out some things. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 1. And uh, as you turn there, I'm going to give a little context. So Paul uh, is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Romans. And in verses 1 through 15, he's introducing himself. Um, and he's really, it's just, a, it's just an introduction to the letter. And in verse 16, um, he says... Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And that's in verse 16. Um, and he mentions that word, the gospel. And the gospel is just the good news of Christianity. And so what Paul actually does, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then that triggers him to go on several chapters where he's just going to explain probably the most in-depth explanation of the gospel that you can find in scripture over the next several chapters. Uh, and he's going to start that with verse 18. And uh, if you've ever heard the gospel before, the good news of Christianity, you know that it starts uh, with bad news. And so Paul's going to spend the first two and a half chapters or so laying out um, the bad news. So let's start there in Romans chapter 1. Uh, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever." Amen. All right, so it starts out with terrible news. God has wrath against his people, uh, against people because of their unrighteousness. And what is the nature of their unrighteousness, right? Why is God, I mean, if you read it, it is so clear. God is angry about our unrighteousness. What is the big deal about sins? What's the big deal about a few sins? Nobody's perfect. Right? We hear that in our culture. No one's perfect. What's the big deal? The big deal is that our external sins, the thing we think of as sins, point to a deeper sin problem in our hearts. You know, I've, I've sinned. I'm 33 years old. I've sinned in all kinds of ways. Um, one thing I've never done, one way I've never sinned, is I've never thought, oh my gosh, it is, it is 830 and I have not sinned today. Can you believe that? I just, before the day ends, out of obligation, I just need to go sin really quick. Of course not. We don't sin that way. Why do we sin? Let's look back at the text. Uh, let's read uh, verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. All right. If you want to know, what is the purpose of why I was created? Why was the world created? Why were trees created? Why was the cosmos created? Why was I created? Here it is in Romans 1. 
You were created to love, honor, and worship God above everything. God made the entire world so that you would look at it and be in awe of God. You see that in the text? Don't take my word for it. Look for it in the text. Humans were made in the image of God. Okay? What does that mean? That means I was not made to absorb glory. I was made that when you would look at me, I would reflect glory back to God. You should look at me and you should want to worship God. Everything from the smallest atom to a complex human being to the amazing, huge cosmos, it was all created so that we would look at it and worship God. All right, that is why you were created. That's why the world was created. All right, let's keep reading verses 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, listen to the problem. You know what you were created to do. What did we do instead? Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. All right, you see what it's saying? The problem is God has created you to look at the world and worship him. And what do we do instead? We look at the world and what do we worship? The created thing. We worship the world. All right, so uh, I love basketball. Uh, it's probably my favorite sport. And uh, for my next birthday, let's say my wife, she's like, man, I love John. I'm going to go all out for his birthday. I'm not just going to buy him a basketball. I'm going to like make him the perfect basketball goal. My wife is not crafty, so it's kind of funny for me to think about. But let's just go with the analogy. She makes me this amazing basketball goal. And she reveals it on my 34th birthday. And she says, John, I, I love you. I want you to have this. And I look out the window. I get so excited. Anyone who knows me, you know how much I love activities. And uh, I run outside and I start playing basketball. And she looks out the window and she thinks, man, he loves that basketball goal. This is awesome. I got him this gift and he loves it. He loves it. And he loves me more because look at him. He's enjoying the gift that I gave him and he's enjoying it. And he loves me. He loves the gift. This is awesome. What if a month goes by and I'm still out there just getting buckets on the goal and she's like looks out the window and she's, do you think she's still thinking like, I, you know, I haven't even been in to say hi or anything. I'm just out there shooting on the goal. Do you think she's like, man, that goal is amazing. I'm so glad I got that for him. Oh, what is she thinking? That thing that I got him so that he would love me more. That's the thing that's making him not love me. It's standing in, in the way of our relationship, right? You see the problem? So earlier I asked, why do I sin? Why do we sin? We sin. We commit sins because we have a sin problem. Our loves are completely out of order. Sin isn't a matter of just the things we do. It's a matter of what we love. I love the world more than I love God. That's why I sin. I worship the wrong things. For me, I worship you all. I, I'll be up tonight thinking, I wonder what they think about my talk. I worship you all. I worship my wife and my kids. I worship money and the security that it can bring. I worship comfort and entertainment and I'm always thinking about what's the next fun thing I can do? What's the next meal I can get with my friends? What's the next thing that can bring me joy? And if you're honest, I think you're like me. You may worship different things, but you're like me. You worship the created things rather than the creator. Uh, this is the way I've heard it said before. We, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. All right. Why is this a big deal? 
Why is this a big deal? <laughs> Hopefully y'all will never forget. Can I have my shoe back? No. All right. I just threw my shoe at Benny. Created a very awkward moment in the room. A few chuckles. I almost didn't get my shoe back. That's the punishment. Okay. When George Bush was the president, someone threw a shoe at him. Guess what happened? Sentenced to three years in prison. Okay? Same exact thing I just did to Vinny. It was funny. Maybe I'd lose my shoe, whatever. Same exact thing to President Bush. Sentenced to three years in prison. What's the difference? Who the act was against, right? All right. <laughs> Sorry, Vinny. <laughs> Dane pointed this out. Our sin is ultimately against God. Okay? If the President of the United States, you get three years in prison for throwing a shoe, how about a love affair against an infinitely powerful, infinitely holy God? Our sin is a big deal, not, because, not only because of what it is, but because of who it is against. Our sin is a big deal, not because, not only because of what it is, but because of who it's against. All right. Secondly, the means of justification. How do I get justified? Let's go to Romans 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. Starting in verse 10. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is on their lips. On their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and, uh, and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No human being will be what? Justified. justified. What does justified mean? Declared. declared righteous. No human being will be declared righteous in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. All right, so Paul, literally since we finished there in Romans 1, all the way through halfway into Romans 3, he has been making the case that every single person, Jew and non-Jew, are guilty before God. And he caps it off here uh, with these verses that he's, he's pulled different verses from Psalms and he's, and he's summarizing uh, our guilt there uh, right uh, at the end of his case that all are guilty. Okay, so you may think, how... Can I be made righteous if this is God's pronouncement over me? And one of the one possible reaction might be to clean up your act. Uh, a couple years ago, I was driving the car and Evelyn was in the back seat, and she said, "Daddy," and that's I always know when she says it in that kind of tone, I'm going to get something good. And she says, "I'm going to stop sinning." And I said, "You are?" She said, "Yeah, I'm going to stop sinning." And I said. Uh, Evelyn, that's really great that you want to stop sinning. Uh, I don't think you're going to be able to do that, sweetie. It's really, really hard not to sin. She said, I'm going to be able to do it. And I said, how are you going to do that? And she said, well, when I want to sin, I just will, will not do it. I'll just stop. <laughs> it's a true story. Uh, we laugh, but I wonder for us deep down in our hearts if we just think, I'll never be perfect, but... I can clean up my act. I, I can try, and then God will accept me. Let's read uh, verses 19 and 20 again. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped in the whole world accountable to God. So every mouth, God's law applies to everyone from 
Adolf Hitler to Mother Teresa, every single person in the world is going to be guilty before God. Well, what if I try to do some good things and and be made right before the God by following his law? For by works of the law, by doing good things, by following God's law, no human being will be declared righteous, justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This text is saying that sin, or that the law is like a mirror. Okay, so let's say you're, you're out on the beach, you're playing volleyball, and you're going hard. So you come in and you got sand all over you and you look at the mirror and you're covered in sand. How absurd would it be if you're like, gosh, and you, you take the mirror off the wall and you start to scrub the sand off of you to clean yourself? Be an idiot, right? <laughs> no, if you see yourself and you look dirty, what does that make you do? It makes you get in the shower, right? You see what this is saying about the law? God's law is like a mirror. It doesn't clean you. It just shows you how dirty you are. You've got to go somewhere else to get clean. Why can't, why is it like this? Why can't God's law clean us? Well, one, because God is so holy that even if you followed his law perfectly from today forward, you cannot enter into his presence with even one sin. But secondly, it's because of what sin is, right? We already talked about this. It's not an innocent mistake. So uh, it, it is a love affair with something else in the world. So if I cheated on my wife and she found out, she came home and she was like, John, I found out what you've done. And I said, babe, but I have done the dishes and I took out the trash. She's going to say, I do not want those stupid works. I want your heart, right? We have had a love affair with the things of the world. God doesn't want our good works. He wants our hearts. All right. So Paul, he's going to tell us, how can we be made righteous? Let's pick up in verse 21. Going to kind of just, these verses are packed, so I'm just going to kind of explain each one as I read it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. There is another way. There is another way to get the righteousness of God that you need. There's another way, and it it comes apart from the law, right? Paul's already made the case it doesn't come through the law. There's a way to get it apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What does that mean? That's exactly what Bergie was talking about the other day. The entire law and the prophets, the entire, uh, all the scriptures bear witness, point to the fact that this, whatever he's about to say, is the way that we're going to be made righteous. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Okay, so whatever this righteousness is, the way we get it is through faith in Jesus for there is no distinction for all. What does all mean? All? Good job. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everything we've been talking about. And are justified. What does justified mean? Declared righteous. All are declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Propitiation is a 50 cent theological word. It just means wrath absorbing sacrifice. A wrath absorbing sacrifice. So he put, God put forward Jesus as a wrath absorbing sacrifice to be received by faith. All right, so summary God sent Jesus to live the perfect life that we should have lived. If ever there was someone who did not deserve to die, It was Jesus Christ. And yet, he died the worst death ever, not not only because of the physical pain of the cross, but he absorbed all of the wrath that my sin deserves and your sin deserves. So what about us? What do we get? It says that we get the righteousness of Jesus. 
Isn't that amazing? I think 2 Corinthians 5.21, which was also written by Paul, uh, summarizes it in one verse, probably more clearly than any other text, any other verse in Scripture. It says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, all right, I'm going to set the microphone down to, uh, to make an analogy here. Um, theologians for years have called this the great exchange. All right, so this hand represents Jesus. And this piece of paper is white. So it represents perfection. So this is Jesus and his perfection. And this hand represents me. And I'm full of sin. This black phone represents sin. It's Apple. You know, it's even got the, the Apple, Adam, and Eve, Ada. Okay? So this, is, this hand represents sin. All right? This piece of paper represents Jesus and his perfection. And what does Paul say? That God made Jesus, who knew no sin, he was perfect, to become sin. So he takes on my sin so that in him I might what? Be neutral? No, so that I might become the righteousness of God. I mean, that's crazy that God took on my sin and He gives me His righteousness. All right, so how do we get it? That's the question we're answering, right? How do we get that righteousness? What do we have to do? Well, it says it there uh, in the text multiple times. We receive it by faith. We don't earn it. It's a gift. We receive it by faith. All right, so faith is not, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'll always ask students, what's faith? And it's like, you got to have faith. You got to trust in something, even if you can't see it. Like it's some like, you know, righteous virtue. Faith is literally just trusting in something else. Okay. So let's say that I, you, you, you come home from work one day and everybody's looking up. And for some reason, nobody's trying to save me. They're just all looking up in amazement. And I'm hanging from the fourth floor of the hotel back on Project Grounds. I'm just hanging off the balcony. And no one's going up to save me. Everybody's just looking like, oh man, I wonder if he's gonna survive. And I'm just up there and I'm hanging. And right as I'm falling and I slip off the edge, I reach over and there's a flagpole and it's, you know, sticking, it's like hanging on the, on the side of the building. I reach over and I grab onto it. Would you, if you were watching that, would you be like, John's hand just saved his life. No, what saved my life? The flagpole saved my life. I need my hand. My hand grabs onto it. It's very important. But the flag just saved my life. So what, what am I saying? Your, your faith does not even save you. Jesus saves you. Okay? Your faith is the hand. It's just it's grabbing on. It's holding on to Jesus. There's an old Christian hymn that says, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Our faith uh, is the hand that grabs onto Jesus. Often uh, the Bible will pair another word. Maddie mentioned it in her testimony, uh, faith and repentance. Uh, Paul doesn't say repentance here. Uh, faith and repentance, uh, they, they go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. Um, so let's say I, there was, a, you know, I said, hey guys, there's a bomb in this room and it's about to go off in one minute. Okay, if you had faith, which is just trust, if you trusted what I was saying, what would you all do? Everybody's running, right? Okay, is you running out separate than you trusting in what I just said? No, you, you are doing an action because, precisely because you trust in what I just said. That's what repentance is. You're saying, Jesus, I trust you. There's nothing else I can rely on. I have no good works. I have nothing. Nothing in my hand I bring. Please save me from my sin. You can't say that and say, save me from the sin that I want to keep living in. No, when you say, Jesus saved me from my sin, it comes with an action. Your trust in Jesus comes with an action. You turn from your sin. Are you perfect? No. But you turn from your sin and you run the other way. All right, so how are we declared righteous? How are we justified? There's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous. God justifies us, declares us righteous when we trust in Jesus for salvation and repent of our sins. All right, third, the nature of justification. What happens when God justifies you? What happens when God justifies you? A lot of professing Christians 
And in fact, some entire denominations of Christianity uh, would say that justification is not a one-time event, but it's actually a process, a lifelong process where you co Don't write this part down because it's wrong. <laughs> a lifelong process where you cooperate with God and he slowly imparts right, uh, righteousness to you over time. Okay? That's not what scripture teaches. I want to show you from, from Romans 4. Justification is a one-time event. All right, let me just give let me just give a little context before I, I read, okay? Paul did not have DMs, okay? This was 2000 years ago. So so you didn't get to ask Paul your questions. When he writes a letter, what he does is he anticipates the questions that you might ask. Okay? So he's writing this to an audience that might ask the question, "Hey Paul, you're saying that nothing I do uh, it's it's just faith in Jesus. It's his perfection that's credited to me by faith that can't be true what about abraham if ever there was a person that was justified by his works it would be abraham one he's a, a patriarch of the faith and two he lived two thousand years before jesus ever walked the earth so how would he have ever had faith in jesus right pretty good question that paul anticipates so let's read paul's answer uh, to the hypothetical question that he assumes his readers are going to ask. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. All right. So you see what he's saying? No, Abraham didn't even know the name of Jesus, but his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Right. Paul even seems to be saying that Abraham believed in God and the term that he uses for God is the one who justifies the ungodly. All right, so I want you to see two, th two key things in this text. Um, number one is that Jesus' righteousness is a gift, and number two is that Jesus' righteousness is counted to you. So this is the nature of that justification. All right, so you guys have been working, okay, um, on this first one, Jesus' righteousness is a gift. You all have, has anyone received their first paycheck yet? All right. You guys have been working. You're working at Walmart, whatever. When you saw that direct deposit into your bank, were you like, man, that is so generous. Can you believe that? Walmart just deposited this money in my account. I mean, how did that happen? This is amazing. You're like, how did I not get paid more? Who took all my money? Like, right? I worked hard for that, right? You, you're saying, I worked for that money. I earned it, and now I'm getting paid. That's what Paul is saying in verse 4 when he says, you can put it back up there, when he says, now to the one who works, his wages, right? You got wages for working at Walmart, are not counted as a gift, but as is due. You earn it, right? Paul is saying we don't get justification by working, right? We don't get to heaven and we say, hey God, I put in my time now. Give me what I earned. Right? A lot of us think that. I thought That's what I thought for 18 years. I was going to get there and God was going to say, good job, John, you did it. I'm lucky to have you here, right? Paul said multiple times in Romans 3 and 4 that salvation is a gift. That when he declares you righteous, it's a gift. And we don't earn gifts, you receive gifts. And Paul says the way you receive this gift is by faith. Okay, the second thing I want you to see is that God's righteousness is counted to us. All right, so earlier, the first question I asked tonight, are you righteous? And I think Paul might answer that question, of course not, right? For me, of course not. I've probably sinned since I walked in, I've probably sinned since I've been up here teaching the Bible to you guys. Okay, of course 
I'm not righteous. But at the same time, I am perfectly righteous because God declares me righteous. I'm not righteous of myself. The Bible says that God counts me as righteous. So it's not a process that you walk through over your entire life. God pronounces you as righteous. He counts Jesus's righteousness to you when you put your faith in him. A great uh, picture of this is marriage. Um, so I've got a throwback there, back when baggy suits were cool. Um, and this is when, uh, a little over nine years ago, when my wife and I got married. And when I would attend weddings, um, I always would watch and I'd be like, man, when did they actually get married? Right? Like, you're like, I saw them walk in and I know they weren't married when this thing started. And at some point during that ceremony, they got married. Like maybe it was when they lit the unity candle or maybe it was when they like kissed or maybe it was when they were saying their vows. I just knew that at some point they got married, but I, I like never knew when it actually was. Thankfully, I figured it out because I, you know, officiate weddings now. So I kind of had to figure it out. Does anybody know when the moment you actually get married is? Huh? Not I do. Not when you, well, sign the license. That's like when you're married, I guess, in the eyes of the government. When are you married before the Lord? Pronounce. I now pronounce you husband and wife, right? Okay. That is a cool moment, right? In one instant, okay? Two people. There's two people standing up there. And Riley Byers for us said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Boom. Something that was not true about us becomes true in an instant because someone pronounced it true. Okay? Now, there's another sense in which am I more married to Shannon today than I was then? Well, of course not, but in another sense, I'm closer to her than I was. We love each other more than we did in that moment. We've been through more over the last nine years than we had at that time. But you know what I'll never do? I will never say, oh my goodness, I just yelled at Shannon. I sinned against her. Maybe we're not married anymore. Did I just cancel my marriage? Did I just undo it? Why not? Because something in that moment, something was declared over us that made it true until death do us part. Okay, so of course, this isn't the perfect analogy, but I want you to understand a few correlations that I've, I found super helpful for me uh, from this picture. I will never be more married to Shannon than I was at this very moment, yet we will grow closer to one another in our marriage. And in the same way, I will never be more justified than I am today, but I will grow in personal holiness over time. Sinning against Shannon doesn't make me unmarried, but out of a heart of love for Shannon, I turn from my sin against her and seek to love her more. In the same way, sinning against God doesn't mean I'm no longer justified, but out of a love for God, I repent and turn from my sin. I don't want it to have power over me anymore. The reality that I was pronounced husband and wife with Shannon allows me to live out our marriage in love and freedom, not condemnation. And in the same way, the reality that God has pronounced me as righteous allows me to live out my walk with Jesus in freedom and not condemnation. So guys, if you walk away with one thing tonight, um, I want you to think, just, just like I will never be more married to Shannon than I was in that moment, if you are in Christ, you will never be more justified. In, in 10 billion years, you will not be more justified than you are right now, this very moment. I want you to think about that. I mean, you guys have been alive for like 20 years. In 10 billion years, Jesus will see you the exact same way he sees you right now. And that is washed clean by the blood of Jesus. That is amazing news. All right, my last point the goal of justification. For what purpose does God justify you? All right, as great as this news is of justification, it's not even the greatest thing I could tell you tonight. 
Okay, let me illustrate. So, that's uh, how old I am. It was 18 years ago, I was 15. That's crazy to me. Uh, and I remember thinking, when am I ever gonna be free? Right, some of you guys might remember, it's like five years ago for you. When am I ever gonna be free? Like, I just wanna do what? I'm 15, I just wanna drive. I wanna go where I wanna go, when I want to go there, right? And then that glorious thing happens. You turn 16, depending on where you live, you know, you got to get your permit, whatever. But that day comes, you can finally drive, okay? And I remember the day my dad gave me the keys to the truck, 2000 Chevy S10, RIP. He gives me the keys to the truck. How foolish would it have been? How stupid if I'm like, Dad, thank you. These keys are amazing. I'm just gonna hold them tight, you know, snuggle them. I'm, I'm gonna sleep with them at night. I'm never gonna let them out of my sight. No, the keys aren't amazing. The keys are great because they unlock the thing that I actually want, which is to drive my car. I want freedom. I wanna go where I wanna go, when I wanna go there, right? Okay, let's read Romans 4, uh, verses five through eight. Um, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Bless. Okay, this is from Psalm 32. This is your, uh, your prayer verse. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Okay, I want you to fill in the blank. Blessed are those who, who what? Who blank. Okay, think about that, okay? The, the correct answer is right there. Okay, but I'm not asking you what the correct answer is. I'm asking you for an honest answer. What would you say? Blessed is the one who has a certain amount of money. Blessed is the one who has a wonderful family, a comfortable life a bunch of people who love and respect them, what would your heart say? Paul says that the truly blessed one, he pulls it from Psalm 32, he says, is the one who has their sins forgiven. Why would Paul pull this Psalm in this moment to say, there is nothing better, you can have no better than to have your sins forgiven? It's because forgiveness, like those car keys, forgiveness unlocks something greater, and that is you get God Himself. Forgiveness unlocks something greater. You get God Himself. Psalm 1611. Uh, you can turn there. While, while you turn there, I want you to think about something. Uh, I want you to try to think of the best moment in your life. Think of the happiest you've ever been. Okay, the happiest moment of your life. And I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to rate it on a scale of one to 10, okay? So 10 being the happiest you think you'll ever be. So if you're like, man, I had a great moment when I won the state championship in high school. I think someday something will be better. Maybe the day I get married, whatever. Maybe you give it like an eight or a nine or whatever. So rate it on a scale of one to 10. And then secondly, I want you to think, how long did that feeling of joy last? How long did that feeling of joy last? Maybe just one person want to share. Someone's like, man, my, my cool thing's kind of lame. All right, all right, there we go. Uh, sophomore year, I beat this guy named Kanye Baysong in the wrestling match and sections in the semifinals. Okay. And he beat me like three times earlier that year. I was kind of blacked out, did one of these. <laughs> and that was like a super cool moment for me. All right. So if you had your thing up there for strength, you would have put 10 out of 10 because you beat that guy. Yeah. Um, there you go. All right. On a different scale, <laughs> on the scale I asked you to do, what would you, what would you say? How, how, how happy were you in that moment? A nine or a ten. Okay, so that that's probably one of the best moments of your life, you'd say. Okay, how long did the joy last? 
Okay, so yeah, it didn't last long, and then maybe you still like even today you're probably still a little happy like thinking about it, but yeah, I'm not blacked out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, okay. All right, I think the rest of us might have similar answers, right? Like we have this great moment; it lasts a little while. God made us that way for for a reason. We seek joy. Okay, let's read Psalm sixteen eleven. You make known to me. This is David writing writing to God. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. On a scale of 1 to 10, what would that be? Full? 11. 11? Okay. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I don't like the, I don't like the, I mean, if you say 11, it's like, why wouldn't you say like 40 or fit like, you know, there's, you know, got to have some objectivity there. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. You have maximum joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. How long? Infinite. Forever. Okay? Do we not all want this? Do we not want infinite joy for an infinite amount of time? So why is justification good news? It's because if you are justified, you can stand in the presence of God. And if you can stand in the presence of God, you will experience endless joy forever in the presence of God for all eternity. You could argue that the climax of the Bible, the climax of the Bible, right? From from Genesis, when, when God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, and when they sinned, he had to leave the garden. You could argue that Revelation 22.4 uh, is the climax of the Bible. Uh, this, is, this is the last chapter of the Bible. No longer will the, in describing heaven someday. No longer will, the, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is our theme. We will see, we will look at Jesus in the face, face to face for all of eternity in endless joy. All right, so I want to to take these truths and I want to I want to place them in the bigger picture, uh, the bigger narrative from Scripture. Um, that we will that how does our justification how does it fit in the fact that one day we will see God face to face? You can go to that next slide. So, sanctification that's going to be a theme talk for another week. But I want to just kind of put these things here and I want to relate them to our theme. Justification. It's a one-time event, okay? It happens when you put your faith in Jesus. And it means I have been saved from the penalty of sin. How? How does that happen? We have looked. Looked to Jesus for our salvation. And God has declared us righteous through our faith in Him. Sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing process where if you're a Christian, you are being saved. From the presence of, uh, from the power of sin. Okay, if you're a Christian in here, that's happening to every one of us right now. This ongoing process. How it happens when we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and glorification. I will be saved from the presence of sin. And what will we do in that moment? We will look at Jesus face to face in unspeakable joy for all of eternity. Um, I used to hate hymns, but we sang them all the time at my church and I, I grew to love them. And one of my favorites, maybe my favorite is called the sands of time are sinking. And the first time I heard it, it's this really long song with kind of a boring tune. And I was like, the sands of time were definitely sinking on that song because it lasted like 10 minutes. And I, and then one day I listened to the words and that's when it became one of my favorite hymns. And I think it, it just encapsulates this idea that through the blood of Jesus, today and 10 billion years from now, we 
will need the blood of Jesus. And through the blood of Jesus, we will enjoy God forever. And by enjoying Him forever, we will give Him glory. And we love to see Him get glory because He's the Lord of our lives. And by Him getting glory, we get more joy. It's summed up beautifully in the sands of time are sinking. So I'm just going to read two verses of it. I I don't have it up there, but just listen. It says, Oh, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He brings a poor vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand, not even where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The bride eyes not her garments. The bride looks, looks not to her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. It's beautiful. Uh, Yeah, that's when it became one of my favorite hymns. I no longer say the sands of time definitely were sinking when I heard that song. Um, Okay. Let me pray. And then I'm going to put some questions up here for you all to journal. Lord, what an amazing truth. God, that you could have left us helpless in our sin, but instead you sent Jesus to absorb the wrath that we deserve. God, you give us his righteousness, not through anything we do, but just through your grace, Lord. What a gift. And God, let us not stop there, but Let us long to enjoy you forever, God. Let us cash in on that amazing gift and enjoy the most enjoyable thing there is to enjoy forever in your presence. God, it is an incredible truth that in heaven, 10 billion years from now, we will stand on the righteousness of Jesus. God, we thank you for his blood. We thank you that you have made us clean. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here who does not believe in that good news, Lord, would you just save them? Would you, Lord, I love them. I don't want them to walk away from here without believing in this glorious gospel, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, You can go to the, okay, can you guys read that? Okay, I'm not going to read it then. Uh, You guys can just take a few minutes and uh, and journal, write down your thoughts, um, how the Lord is working on your heart, Um, and then are you guys going to going to play. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2023 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of the North Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.